Amen. Well, I want to encourage you to stay standing for the reading of God's word as we get to 2 Samuel chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. I'll read down to verse 25 today. This is the word of the Lord for this morning. 2 Samuel chapter 5 says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you won't come in here, but the blind and lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Therefore, it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the millow inward. And David became greater and greater for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David in cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron and more sons and daughters were born to David. And these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. I did it. <laughs> when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up, for I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. Now David came to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal Perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there, and David and his men carried them away. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up, go around to their rear, and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the top of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself. For then the Lord has gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines down. And David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. This is the word of the Lord for this morning. You can be seated. Happy Father's Day in the house. Yeah. 
Here at Doxa, we are mediocrely excited about fathers. We just wanted you to know that. Just kidding, of course. Dads are like, I don't want the praise. I don't want the attention. Uh, we're so excited to celebrate with you today. And um, usually Father's Day is like a day where the pastor gets up here and tells you guys, like, you need to be stronger. You need to be, have more courage. You need to you know, get your lives together. And, and, and as I was thinking and I was praying about dads, I was like, you know, it became so clear. I, you need to give him Jesus. Because if you don't have Jesus, you're never going to be courageous. You're never going to be godly. You're never going to be an awesome dad. You're never going to be a gospel-centered husband unless you have Jesus. And when Jesus is in you, he empowers you to be transformed from the inside out. So what I have to do, like is not a surprise to us, is give you Jesus today. What's cool about it, though, is I'm going to give you an overwhelming picture of Jesus from the Old Testament, from 2 Samuel chapter 5 that we just read. So if you have your Bibles, go there. 2 Samuel chapter 5, it is stunning that Christ is just bleeding out of 2 Samuel chapter 5. My name's Scott, by the way. I'm the lead pastor here. Hello. Sometimes I don't say that, and then people introduce themselves to me and don't know who I am. I just want you to know that mainly so you can say, Hi, Scott. My name is blah, 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 when I meet you out there later, okay? Um title of the message. Let's give you that. Title of the message, 2 Samuel chapter 5, uh, Davidic Kingdom Highlights. It's kind of what this is. We've been waiting 25 years for David to be king in this way in chapter 5. And it's so interesting because chapter 5 reads like the way dads watch television these days, which isn't much if you're actively involved with your kids. If you're a sports guy and you're into watching games, the best you can do in this season of your life when you've got young kids that are my age is get highlights. Am I right? So I am glad for that two and a half minutes of highlights that shuts that, takes that game that's two and a half hours long and brings it down into an accessible form. Give me the best moments of what's going on and I am good to go. That is how chapter five reads. It's not a single flowing chronological narrative here. This isn't in order of what's going on once David becomes king over Judah and over Israel, but rather kind of a best of like these unique highlights from David's kingship overall, the author accentuating certain events to give us a proper view of the kingdom. And David's kingdom was kind of like a golden age in Israel. David's kingdom into Solomon's kingdom, this, this kind of unique uh, flourishing time. And yet, while all that is true, and chapter 5 reads that way very much, here's the big idea for this morning. David's kingdom highlight reel is positive, but it still leaves us longing for the perfect king and kingdom. Like, it is neat to see what's going on in 2 Samuel 5, but it is bleeding. We want more. And you and I, sitting on this side of the cross in human history, see 2 Samuel chapter 5 from a completely different perspective than the Israelites would have having had received it on the other side, the BC days. And so I want to show you this by giving you four snapshots, four snapshots that the author gives us from David's reign and how that leads us to long for a particular king, a perfect king. Well, David's news about his 
reign is largely positive, we are looking for perfect. While this is good, we're looking for glorious. And you're going to see it. Just, just listen to these snapshots and tell me Jesus isn't peering through right here. Ready? Here's what we're longing for. A king who covenants, a king who condescends, a king who won't compromise, and a king who conquers. That's all found in David's life, but who is that pointing to? Jesus Christ, your Savior, if you have trusted in him by faith. This is the king we long for. And I just got to show you, this is how glorious God's word is. I mean, what a Bible study that would have been, by the way, with Jesus in Luke 24, when he sat down with some of the disciples and explained to them all the things concerning himself and all of the scriptures. And you know, he was talking about the Old Testament, right? Anyone down to go to that Bible study? That'd be the one I'd sign up for in the fall. Jesus through the Old Testament talking about himself. Yes, please. It is bleeding through here. Let me give you these snapshots from David's reign, which lead us to long for something even better. Number one, a king who covenants. Okay, a king who covenants. First five verses talk about David establishing this covenant with the people of Israel. So too, by the way, all who would be in right relationship with Jesus Christ, the true and better king, have to come to him through covenant relationship as well. Namely, the new covenant established in his blood, whereby we are set free from our sin because of what he did, not because of how great we are. His work on the cross brings us to himself, and if you are to be in right relationship with the greater king, you must come to Jesus in covenant relationship that he establishes and holds to his promises. But nonetheless, three confessions come in their coming to the king to establish this covenant relationship. You'll find them. I'll read them, and then we'll break them down because they're so interesting. He, they say this first. They, all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron. Now, it seems like because of a couple verses later that all of the tribes of Israel are represented in the elders, right? Verse 3, so all the elders came to the king. It doesn't really matter. Either all the tribes of Israel were there or all the tribes of Israel were represented through the elders. And here's what they say. Number one, we are your bone and flesh to David. Number two, it was you who led out and brought in Israel in verse two. And then number three, we're here because the Lord said to you, you shall be my shepherd, the shepherd of my people Israel. What interesting language that the people of Israel would come to David and declare to him. And we'll start with the first one. We are your bone and your flesh. What are they testifying to? They testify to the fact that they're coming as fellow brothers, fellow Israelites, right? They're testifying to the reality that in Deuteronomy chapter 17, what many of us probably aren't aware of is the fact that the king, the requirements for a king was that they would choose one of their brothers to rule and be king. It needed to be a fellow Israelite. It needed to be someone amongst them. And they're confessing to that. We are fellow Israelites. We are brothers with one another. It has this marital language, doesn't it? Does anyone just smell of the Adam and Eve kind of marriage situation? Bone of my bones and flesh of my 
flesh, and it's just sitting here in this testimony to David, this establishment of covenant with him, and yet in the background, peering through the shadows is the greater, isn't it? That there's this longing to be more than bone and flesh in a we're related kind of way, but even more to be united by faith to Christ, such as that we are a part literally of his own body, that Christ welcomes us into himself such that we are hidden with Christ in God. That we, this husband language, this marital covenantal language, doesn't just scream Ephesians 5. The reality of the fact that we, by faith, get to belong to the Davidic descendant, the true and better David, in such a way that we are his bride, those who are found by faith in Jesus. That we are united to him in such a way that we are your bone and your flesh takes on a deeper meaning, united in one body with Christ as the head. And so we see this confession of bone and flesh, and we testify that in Jesus Christ we have something greater. You see it there, but you see it in greater measure in Jesus. And all who've trusted in him have been united, grafted into his body. But then it continues on. More picture of Jesus. It was you who let out and brought in Israel. So what is he talking about there? What are the Israelites talking about? The fact that David has been dominating and really doing the work while Saul was getting kind of the credit for it, even though the songs back in 1 Samuel were about David, right? Saul was slaying his thousands, and David was slaying his tens of thousands, right? They're confessing. That was you. But listen to the language. It was you who led him out or led us out and brought us in. You know what that language is? That's Exodus language, y'all. That's going back. So there's a pattern taking place, and they're going, this is what David is fulfilling. He's a new Moses who brought out the people of Israel from Egypt in slavery and brought them into the promised land, which means that he's also a new Joshua who leads and delivers his people into the promised land, and we'll see how David even fulfills that in just a second even more. And so true of David, but also in the pattern of Exodus leading out God's people to bring them in, recognizing there's a pattern taking place so that in the shadows of David, we would see the substance of Jesus, that he would lead us out of our slavery to sin and bring us into himself, to bring us into rest, that God has purchased for his people through the work of Jesus Christ and gives it by covenant, the new covenant, as a possession to all who will put their faith in Jesus. The language is simply stunning. This is what Jesus does for you. You see it in David in shadow. You see it in Jesus in substance. You want a king who covenants. No, no, you need a king who covenants with you, and you need one like this who will lead you out of the slavery to your sin, a far greater slavery, and will bring you into relationship with him And then he says this, and the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel. Now, this is here the anchor of this entire confession because God's promise is woven throughout this. Remember, God had promised this. You'll be my shepherd, David, and it has come to pass that the shepherd boy 
who wasn't even around in 1 Samuel 16, had to be pulled off the field, has now become the shepherd king, and all of a sudden you see in David, it's this awesome picture of a new Moses, a new Joshua, but in the shepherd king, you see a new Jacob coming forth. You're seeing these Old Testament patterns starting to collide in what David is doing, and the whole bigger idea maybe of what's going on is God's promises are holding true. And that's what we've been walking through the first, the last couple weeks is this idea of, man, 25 years have taken place. And God's promises have been through the ringer, haven't they? God's promises that to David, that he would be the shepherd over his people, have gone through it all. To borrow the language of a modern hymn, in Christ alone, God's promises have proven firm through the fiercest drought and storm, haven't they? Drought and storm of what? Of Saul's anger? Of Saul's jealousy? Thank God he's bad with a spear? Right? Okay, or maybe that was sovereignly, providentially the Lord. Nonetheless, we're glad that he's didn't play baseball growing up, right? And then you get into the book of 2 Samuel and you see all the rebellion from the north established by Abner and Ishbosheth over all these years. Doesn't look positive that this is going to happen. And listen, yet here comes God's promise firm through the fiercest drought and storm. How much more the promise of the perfect shepherd king of which David is but a shadow. And here's where it gets really awesome. And there's so much neat imagery going on. If you read John 10, it will blow your mind about everything that's been happening. Because the the mention of it was you who let us out and brought us in was mentioned in verse 2. Same language is used in John chapter 10 of Jesus, the shepherd, who will bring out his own. That's us. A shepherd who gives eternal life. That beats everything so that we never perish a shepherd who makes it impossible for anyone to snatch them out of his hand because the father gave the sheep to the shepherd and because he is greater than all such that not one can snatch them out of the father's hand we worship this shepherd of which David is a shadow Jesus is the substance This is our Jesus, a shepherd who is one with the Father, Jesus Christ. He is set alone. He is set apart and alone apart from every other person in religious history. There is no one like him. He is the shepherd who is God. He is the king who is the Christ, who reigns not just for the 40 years that David reigns, which is a shadow. He reigns forever. That's different. And so you see it playing out, right? That a David was 30 years old when he began to reign. We got 40 years out of David. We got a good run. We get a little bit longer with Solomon. And then the thing kind of tanks, right? With Jesus, we get forever. The thing never tanks. And of his government, there will be no end. Speaking of a king who covenants, that's the connection between verses five, 1 to 5 and verses 6 through 10. Covenant. A king who covenants. We see Israel establishing this covenant, David establishing it with Israel. But then in chapter 6, it turns a little bit to the battle with this Jebusite group, right? And we know that the Jebusites are part of the ites. 
just easier, right? Read them fast or just say, I, 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 Jebusite. It's just one of the ites. And the ites are important in a covenantal way because when you see the defeat of the Jebusites in verses 6 through 10, you need to think Abrahamic covenant fulfillment. Okay? This is a Bible lesson today. Abrahamic covenant fulfillment. You're like, this is a cool story. Yeah, and it's also God's promises being fulfilled in a stunning way. So, so let's just, let's, let's give you just a little bit of background. I, I shortened it. Only got one of the ites in here, but Genesis 15, let me just read this to you. Genesis 15, beginning in verse 18, to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of the, okay, you're going to have to read them all. Hittites, Canaanites, Hivites, la la la, I, 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 and then when you get to the end, and the Jebusites. Okay, here's the thing. This promise is referred to repeatedly until the time of the conquest of the land. And even at that time, here's the history, they were unable to do what? To dispossess the Jebusites, as was promised in the Abrahamic covenant. Even when they won a victory at Jerusalem, they still weren't able to dispossess, nor did the Benjaminites do that. And you can see that in Judges 1, for example. But now, roughly 800 years later, which is the time from Abraham to David, you have the fulfillment of this aspect accomplished in the establishing of David in the city of David, or we get the word Zion. And it comes in an interesting way. There's some sort of trash talk going on, which is sort of humorous, I, I guess. Um, so the Jebusites are talking to David, and they're like, you're not going to come in here. Man, the blind and the lame could warn you, warn you off, or war, what is the word? Ward you off. The blind and the lame could ward you off. Like, that's, you know, like, and David comes back with some trash talk of his own, right? And, I mean, I don't know, I'd give that like a C, C minus, you know? Some of you are like, you should see what I do in our rec league, man. I got such great trash talk. And the, these guys are like believing. Here's what they're saying. They're, they're saying, our, our fortress here is so impenetrable, you could put a bunch of lame and crippled people up there and they could still ward you off. You ain't getting in here. So, so then what's the funny part? You ever see those um, videos when trash talk goes wrong? They have, all right, don't worry, it's okay. I work one day a week, so I have so much time <laughs> on my hands to watch all of these videos for you. But there's some of my favorite because you get them like just yapping, 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 whatever sport it is, and then they cut to like the victory of the other person, right? So the one talking trash gets absolutely laid out. They're the best. And I feel like this is a when trash talk goes wrong moment in the Old Testament. It's like, man, you can't get in here. Blind in the lamb, go ward you off. And then I love, just read this. It's so nonchalant. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion. <laughs> Isn't that great? It's like, that was not even a battle. That is the city of, you might as well call it my name. By the way, I dominated it, and now it has my name. Winning. That's how you win. You can't take me. It's David's city, by the way. I'm calling it my name. 
city of David, boom, triumphed over it. And then we get this like, by the way, David taking Zion in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, the new Joshua vibes are like coming through David in this moment. That's a significant piece to the overall story, but we get verse eight, we kind of get his plan. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. So do we have to have a talk about this or can we understand that David doesn't hate lame and blind people? We're good, are we good? Okay, he doesn't hate lame and blind people. You can see that he's calling all of the Jebusites that. It's like some serious, it's like he was, they were basically saying, we don't even need to put anyone out there. So any Jebusite we could put out there, it could be the worst of us. You won't get into the city. He goes, we're going up the water shaft and then we're going to take them out. And it's not the lame and the blind, like literally the lame and the blind. It's, he's equating them with the Jebusites, right? That's what he's saying. Whoever would strike the Jebusites and then later on, the lame and the blind. It's Jebusites equals the lame and the blind, and David takes them out. It was an awesome plan for their city. If you could get water outside of your city while having all your guards up, no one could ever get in and you could sustain. So even if people came against you, you'd have your resources already. They were able to get their water out outside of where their boundaries were of their fortress and then they were able to pull it in. So he goes, we're going to go up there and that's how we're going to get inside. And we're going to take them down. But here's the bigger picture of what's going on we get the first sighting of Yahweh's king ruling from Jerusalem. This is the first mention of Zion in the Bible. Now, originally, Zion referred to this Jebusite town on the hill that we're discussing right now. But as the Old Testament develops, it comes to be, the word, the name Zion, comes to designate the Temple Mount, in Psalm 74, for example, the city of Jerusalem in Psalm 87 as a whole, the city of Jerusalem, comes to designate the people of God, Zion, as in Isaiah 49, 14, and ultimately, according to Isaiah 2, chapter 2, chapter 4, Micah 4, verse 7, Ultimately, Zion is the center of Yahweh's kingdom in the age to come. So as we're thinking about what David is establishing in the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant, in an actual, the literal place of Jerusalem in this city, what it leads us to long for in light of what we see play out in scriptures, we're left longing for a new and better city. We are left longing for a new Jerusalem. A city, according to Hebrews eleven sixteen, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has pre prepared for them a city. So check this out. In the old Jerusalem, David, the provoked warrior, excludes the lame and the blind in fulfillment of promise. But in the new Jerusalem, there's also a kind of exclusion of the lame and the blind in that there will be none. And Isaiah 35 verse 5 says it like this, then the eyes of the blind shall be open and the, deer, the, deers, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Maybe deer's ears as well. But the ears of the deaf unstopped, the lame man shall leap like a deer, there's deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. 
That's when that's going to happen. But because I butchered the reading, you're like, dear, and you missed the whole point of the verse. He sucked at saying that. That was funny. What was that again? This is so good. Shame on me for messing up ear and dear. But you can understand, can't you? It's close. They're right there on my page. In the new Jerusalem, there will not be lame and blind anything because sin and its effects and the curse of sin will be gone. Everyone will be made whole. And Christ has begun that new creation work in us, purging the sin in us, and that's taking place right now as we walk with him. So, What's interesting as well is the new Jerusalem is also the people of God, which ties into the bride language of the bone and flesh from earlier in this, this first point. So many amazing components coming together. Let me, let me give you a piece of application. Don't count delay in God fulfilling his promises as decay of God's promise. Delay does not mean decay. It doesn't mean because we've been waiting for a long time that somehow they're somewhat less legitimate, right? The whole idea of 2 Peter 3 is where's the promise of Jesus coming? We've been waiting a long time. Nothing's really changed. We get up every day, sun comes up, same exact over and over and over again. And all you guys believe Jesus is coming back says what? Well, the whole point of what 2 Peter 3 is saying is, says God's word. Because saying is doing with God. God says it, it's going to happen. Period. That's what you say. That's his defense. Well, the word says it. See, what people miss when they're not Christians is they think, we got to see something out in the world in order for us to know that this Jesus is coming back. No, no, no. Jesus said it saying is doing with God, he will return. Oh, and by the way, the reason he is being slow is because he is patient with you. Not wanting you to perish, but come to repentance and faith in Jesus. You will stand before the king who covenants, and apart from being in covenant relationship with him, you will be judged by this king. But he stands patiently now to woo you to himself in love, to say, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. My burden is light, and you'll find rest for your souls. It says that David comes into the city and builds the city all around from Millo inward, and David became greater and greater. And here's the key, for the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. That was the key. key. The Lord was with him. How much more Jesus? Well, that's not the only picture that we see. The second snapshot from David's reign and what it leads us to long for, not just a king who covenants, but a king who condescends. The king who condescends the next vignette notes David's kingship going viral, being lauded by other nations. Remember, this isn't a chronological passage, so this isn't the next thing that happened. In fact, we find out that Hiram wasn't king of Tyre until like the last 10 years of David's reign. So this isn't chronological, 
But what's interesting about this is that it's placed after David's conquest of Jerusalem. I.e., when you conquer, it's time to build. And we see this even in places like Isaiah 60, chapter 60, verse 10. It says, foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you, and your gates shall be opened continually, and that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations, for the nation and kingdom will not serve you, will perish. And so we get this example in David of the king sending messengers and cedar trees and carpenters and masons who built David a house. But here's the key. Here's what the real focus is. David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. God had exalted David for the sake of his people. He lifted him up that he might serve the people. That's what he did. This is the emphasis in this vignette. And David was a model of this, right? But let's just be honest. David is a sinner just like us. As much as the, um, you try to push all the accolade and all of the glory he's getting onto, wait a minute, I'm, it's, that's just given by God to serve, it's given by God to serve. All of us are a weird mixture of fleshly desires and God-glorifying desires battling in our hearts. Let's just be honest about that. So that even at David's best, we find that some of this over time does actually get to his head. Just like some of it over time, if we were honest, in the best of us, the longest tenured Christians, the most faithful, it gets to us as well. A lot of accolade is hard to receive and take in, and we praise God for the way that largely David handled that. But what it does for us is it leaves us to long for more than what David represented in his serving of the people. Yes, David does it well, but we are looking for the true servant of God who selflessly, completely, and fully came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Our King Jesus, the Davidic descendant who would come, is the one who truly exchanged the glories of heaven for a cradle in a stable. That condescension of God, the Son, to come and dwell among us and to give his life to serve and be a ransom for many. Who from this highly exalted place condescended as our example, but for us to pay for our sin and shows us the ultimate example of what it means to be exalted for the sake of the people of God. And it reminds me as well that your position, when you think about it, God's given you positions of authority. If you are a father, you are in a position of authority. If you are a boss, you are in a position of authority. If you are a parent in general, or a pastor elder, or a deacon, or a small group leader, God has entrusted that to you. And here is the call that David is making clear, God is making clear to David. If you are in a position of leadership, you have been exalted for the sake of God's people. This is not for you to find your identity. This is not for you to be like, oh, now I feel good about myself. This is not your place so you can just show off how awesome you are and how many Bible verses you've memorized. You've been exalted into the place that you are for the sake of God's people. And he shows that. 
And we long for that type of king, the true and greater David, who would condescend, take on flesh, die for us as a ransom to reconcile us to God, and then be and live as our example, as spirit living in us, to cause us to walk in the same ways that he walked. We are in need of a king who condescends, but not just that. We are in need of a king who won't compromise. We are in need of a king who won't compromise. We get this picture again. This is the third vignette here. And, and I will just say, of the pictures, of the snapshots we're covering, this one shows us the least positive side of David. This one is where you go, okay, there are definite chinks in the armor. This is the king who's great, but he's not the great king we're longing for. He can help us in some ways, but he can't help us in the greatest ways. He is a sinner just like us. We've had this conversation before of the accumulation of lady friends that are, and it's not like today, it's like if, if you had a bunch of lady friends, you'd be in counseling with Isaac for sure, um, but it probably wouldn't be politically motivated. Probably has some other major motivations. Hard to figure out how much is political, how much is sexual, all that stuff's kind of woven into a very different culture. But nonetheless, what we see here is while David's reign was positive, it certainly wasn't perfect. It says that David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem. A problem, we've read this before, but let me just remind you of Deuteronomy 17, 17, and he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Women weaken spiritual legs. Deuteronomy 17 is clear, but I want you to note something. Note the language here in verse 13. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem. Here's what's going on, and this was a warning all the way back in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And if you were with us in 1 Samuel chapter 8, remember when they're like, it's a great idea, it's a great idea. Let's boost or knock God out of here, and let's put a human on the throne and call him king just like the nations. It's going to be awesome. God, how could not not be a perfect plan? And the response of Samuel is the problem with the human king, because they're sinners, ultimately, is that they're going to come in and they're going to take from you. Their sons, they're going to take them. Their daughters, your daughters, the kings are going to take them. Your fields and your vineyards, kings are going to take them. Your resources, take them. Your workload, take it. All of it is going to be taken by the king. Note the, con- the context here, David taking, falling into the same line of this warning of Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 8, a good reminder as he's accumulating against God's word what he shouldn't be, that we need to check our tendency. This isn't the king we're called to worship. You see that? Good but not ultimate, positive, but not perfect. This is a serious blemish on David's resume here in chapter five, on the highlight reel. This is an important reminder that we aren't to worship this king, and let's just be honest, we need to be careful not to worship any hero of the faith. The best of men, as has been said, are men at best, and you will find yourself in a world of hurt if you put too much confidence and trust where it belongs to Jesus in one of his servants. 
Even David compromises. Even David blows it. The man after God's own heart. What's this telling us? Our worship, your worship is only safe in the hands of one man. Not in a church being perfect. The church will let you down. Pastors will let you down. Your closest spiritual friends, who you thought, that'll never happen, that'll never happen. Do you realize they have everything capable in them that it could totally happen? They're not special or different in any way. We have inside of each one of us all of the ingredients for a massive disaster to take place. God help us all. But this is a reminder that our worship, and you find it, right? When you lose that person that you just put on that pedestal and it all falls apart, you're reminded in that moment, whoa, 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 should not have been trusting in that person so much. Your worship is in the safe in the hands of one person, the Davidic descendant, Jesus, who alone, to quote John 8, 29, this is about Jesus, who alone always does the things that are pleasing to the Father. Put your faith in Jesus Anyone else on the throne of your life, yourself included, will compromise. Compromise will lead to destruction. We long for a king who would be faithfulness perfected, ruling without any hint or trace of sin, who would be faithful to us even when we are faithless. Amen? For he cannot deny himself. Where's where's that king? Show me that king. That's the king that's worthy of worship. That's the king that's worthy of our lives. That's the king that's worthy to be put first. His name is Jesus. He has come and he has been faithful to us even when we are faithless. And here's the great thing. He has to be because he cannot deny himself. That's the one we worship. It's the only one of these vignettes where I had to change the language, right, in order to fit my, my little uh, outline scheme. It would say, all of them are positive. A king who conquers, a king who condescends, a king who covenants, and I had to change this one to a king who won't compromise. That's the king worthy of worship. His name is Jesus. And then this, a king who conquers. A king who conquers. So we get David on the throne, established Israel, Judah, final moment. We've been waiting for this for so long. Word gets out. Philistines hear about it, not wild about what's going on. The last thing they want is that Israel under one king. And so they're getting together, and it says, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up, David heard of it and went down. They go up to occupy the valley. If you occupy the valley where they were wanting to go, you would basically break off communication between the north and the south, continue to cause rifts in this united kingdom to come together. So like, we're going to wedge ourselves right in there. And David's like, I've heard the news that they're coming as well. He goes down to the stronghold. And this is what I love about David we get a picture for the kind of man David is. And what follows here is two, I put three fingers up. Let me put two victories, okay, over the Philistines. But they're different and they're going to help us understand some things that we need to understand as followers of Jesus. Two victories over the Philistines, fulfilling that word in 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 18, which says, by David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines. First victory and second victory. Let's look at the first victory, okay? First thing we see, David 
in verse 19, David inquired of the Lord. He asked the Lord, shall I go up? Lord gives him an answer, receives God's word. David goes forth in obedience to God's word. Super clear. How do I go forward in life? Seek the Lord. Obey what his word says. Where you're not violating what God's word says, you have freedom to do whatever you want. So if it's between two jobs and you're like, I don't know, this one or that one, you're seeking God. His word's clear. This is who you're to be. Follow him in obedience. Does any one of those compromise that? If not, looks like you have a great choice on your hands. When you're seeking the Lord, you're looking to hear from the Lord, not in some sort of, you're not David going like, I prayed and now I hear the Lord speaking to me. Um, yeah, we're not going down that road. It's quite subjective. I don't want to have like a conversation out there of like, you don't say, you think God couldn't do that? I'm not talking about what God can or can't do. I'm not putting any boundaries on that. I'm saying what's healthy is you hear from the Lord through his word and you speak to him in prayer and his word is clear and you follow it. Saying you heard something could be all kinds of things. Like if you're having a bad day, God sounds a unique way. And if you're having a good day, God also sounds a unique way. Easier to pray to the Lord have his word in hand and walk in obedience with what the word says. Nonetheless, David obeys God's word and David conquers, right? He comes to Baal Perazim. David defeated them there and he said, this is what he says, the Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. God, here's the idea, God of the breakthrough. That's what that's saying. Yahweh is the God of the breakthrough. He breaks through our enemies like a torrent of water breaks through anything in its path. That's what it's talking about. Four times in verse 20, we have this idea of breaking through. Where do we see it? Perizim, breakthrough, has broken through like a breaking flood. The name of the place was Perizim. He's trying to get this idea that God is the God of the breakthrough. God breaking through David's enemies like a breaking flood. Does that sound familiar? Here's how we sing it, and in Christ alone. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. That's our king conquering sin and death. That's our king conquering your greatest enemies. Your greatest enemies are not outside of you. Your greatest enemy is inside of you. You have an enemy named sin. It dwells inside of you in your flesh. You have Satan who loves to play off that sin and cause you to walk in that sin. You've got a pattern of the world that's fundamentally against the ways of this world. But Jesus Christ, in dying for our sin on a cross, in rising for our salvation, not only paid the penalty for our sin, but in his death, severed the power of canceled sin over us so that we no longer are conquered by sin, but we can, by God's grace, conquer our sin. Because our God is the God of the breakthrough. And so Jesus Christ rises. Then 
in, by faith in him, we rise to new life in him. And as verse 21 says, which I think is so interesting, they left their idols there. You rise to new life and idols are gone. You get out. Because God is the God of the breakthrough and we've been committed to serve the living and true God. All idols are set aside and we wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. We need a king who conquers not just physical enemies. We need the king to conquer our spiritual enemies. It's not to say that Jesus won't conquer physical enemies either. He will. But the greatest ones that stand before you and God are not you and a person. It's you and you because of your sinfulness. But when you're right with God, you have been fully forgiven of your sin. You have been fully justified. You don't need to add to it. Jesus accomplishes it in full, and it's yours, credited to your account by faith. Amazing stuff, the God of the breakthrough. But then the second victory is so interesting. So he inquires again in verse 23. David inquires of the Lord. Now, I feel like when you have this almost similar situation coming up, it's almost the exact same. They came up yet again and spread out in the Valley of Rephaim. It's like, wait, wait, I've been here before. There's no need to inquire of the Lord. I already inquired of him last time. And I know what God would do in this moment. So it's like, hey, you know what, Lord? I'm good. Let's just do the same play again. A problem, if you run the same play, David would have gotten mowed down. So, important to understand, there's a good reminder here not to let the similarity of your situation lead you towards pragmatism. I know this is how God works, and this works well. We've seen it work and be successful, so let's run this play. I, I'm sure of it. This is what we should do. And seeking after God. Every new opportunity, no matter how similar it is from the last one, is an opportunity to seek God. Don't forget that. When you're tempted to think, I've been here before, I know what to do, stop and confess that you are unwilling to presume upon the Lord. Because it turns out this time, he wants David to go what? Around. This one's interesting. Go up makes sense. Here's what I want you to do. Go up. Okay, I know how that works. Battle, go up. This one's a little bit weirder. I want you to go around. And when you hear in the trees this marching sound, bump, 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 that's when you should rouse yourselves and go. A little bit different, yeah? It's, and it's not going to be one of those moments, too, where like, is that the sound of the marching? What do you think? Hey, man, what do you think? Is this, is this it? You're going to know. You know what that is? The sound of the angel armies of the Lord going out before them, marching on the balsam trees. When they go out, just go after them, just follow them, and you will get the victory because God's gone before you. If he's God of the breakthrough in the first, he's God of the warrior in the second picture here. It says that the, when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, rouse yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you, which is language frequently used for going into or leading into battle. God is a warrior who enters combat for his people, and God has gone out, so you go out. That's what he told David. God's gone out before you, now you go. God's called you out, go be obedient to him. God's called you to be Christian. Go do it in obedience. And what you find is when you 
put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, and you walk in the Spirit, what you will find is you are more than conquerors through him who loves you. You will find that there is nothing that can separate you from his love. You will find that his people never need fear because our God is the God of the breakthrough who has accomplished forever, for us everything we could not do for ourselves. So that in the same verse that Pastor Ben shared, we can say this, thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. It's a pretty cool picture of David's life in terms of that portion that is his reign but it leaves us longing for something more. Yes, David is a king who covenants with his people. He's a king who condescends. He's a king who kind of compromises. But he's also a king who conquers. And in all of those pictures, don't you see who that's pointing to? His descendant. We are longing for this king, for this Jesus, the one who covenants, the one who condescends, the one who won't compromise, and the one who conquers our greatest enemies. That's the Jesus we need. It's the Jesus we worship for those who have faith in Jesus, and it's the Jesus you need if you don't know him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus just peering through every part of this word. God, I pray that you would be blessed in the singing as we respond, in the seeking of you, in every circumstance in our lives, I pray, Father, that you would draw more and more people to yourself, that you would grow us, deepen our, 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 our passion for you, God, and draw more people to yourself. We pray this. Amen.